All right, we are, uh, we are kind of finishing a, a, a series-esque uh, uh, this week. Um, we've been going over the last few weeks, we've been going over the uh, kind of the mission, the plan, the strategy for, uh, for Parfew, which is to gather, grow, and go over the last few weeks. And, and, and today is, is, uh, is effectively what we uh, on the preach team I call the bow. This is go bow. This is the bow on the whole thing. Mark 3 is going to talk about the, uh, the discipleship strategy of Jesus. Uh, it's going to talk about uh, the way in which God, uh, Jesus calls people to himself, to gather them to himself, the way in which they grow as they, as they are in his presence and the way in which they are sent out by him um, on mission in the world. And so I want to look at this a little bit. Um, I think that uh, even though it is kind of the end of a, uh, of a series here, I've, I, really, I really have intended for this to just be by itself uh, kind of just an understanding of what is discipleship. Uh, that's kind of what we're looking at. What is discipleship and how do we go about this uh, as the people of God? And, and honestly, my prayer has been that we can take these things and with very real uh, practical um, uh, uh, results and actions, uh, do discipleship uh, more fully and more, more robustly uh, here at the North, North Campus and so uh, I'm just, I'm so excited to jump into this. So let's do, um, there is, a, a, so we're dropping into uh, uh, Mark 3, Mark chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to frame, so basically the book of Mark is, you know, the, the ministry of Jesus, life ministry of Jesus. Uh, this idea of kingdom is a big deal uh, in Mark. Uh, places are very important. He moves the scenes through different places. He moves it pretty quickly. Uh, and Mark is just super intense the way that he uh, uh, develops uh, the kingdom of God um, and Jesus. Uh, but what happens here is we, is we kind of are figuring out where we are in the text, just looking. That's all of Mark. Now we're going to drop into this a little bit more. Uh, Jesus is in this business of calling disciples. Uh, we find this uh, in Mark uh, 1. He, uh, he says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. In Mark 3, he pulls them aside and he says, hey, here's how we're going to do this. In Mark 6, he's going to send them out and, and say, go try this out. Go see, see, see how this goes. And so this is something that Jesus is thinking about. There's this kingdom. There are these disciples. But then we're kind of focused right here on Mark 3. So we understand a little bit of what's going on uh, as we read these, these uh, three verses here. So if you uh, have a, a Bible, you can kind of just look around uh, uh, before and after. What's happening before uh, the words that we've just read in our passage today, where he goes to the mountain, he, he calls the disciples. Um, before this, he, Jesus enters a synagogue, and there are Pharisees there, and they have a little bit of this debate about, um, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And so these Pharisees saying, I don't know if the law is allowing this guy, Jesus, to do what he does. Uh, after that, then we see that he goes to the sea and a great crowd. We see this crowd around him. So it's not the religious people. It's, it's this crowd that are trying to figure out what's going on here. And Jesus does a bunch of miracles uh, and teaches uh, in an impressive way. And, uh, and one of the things he does, uh, you know, it says the, the, there's a great crowd and, it, and it's threatening to crush him. Um, so this is just wildly popular. But then we also find that these unclean spirits, these, these demons, or whatever they might be, they come out of, out of people. This is part of the, the work of Jesus, and they're saying, you're the son of God. And he says, whoa, 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 it's not my time to be known as that quite yet. We've got some more work to do. And so we see this, this opposition. All these people are kind of trying to figure out what is this Jesus guy all about. Then we get to our text today. He pulls the disciples aside, and he says here. But then when we come out of here, all this language of kingdom starts to happen. Uh, we see that, we, see that we, we get back, the religious people come, and they say, what is, what's, all, what's up with this? We figure this out. You're playing for the other kingdom. And, uh, and he says, this is crazy. His parents come out, or his family comes out, and they say, yeah, we think you might actually just be crazy. Um, and, uh, and, then, uh, and then he kind of explains that our family relationships within the kingdom are, are very different 
It's how, you know, a pastor myself can call you a brother and sister. And this is one of the texts that really develops that language of the family of God. So what's happening here in Mark 3 on, on the overview is we're trying to figure out who, who, is, who are we fighting? Who is the enemy? If we have this kingdom that's being built, who is the enemy? Uh, and, and maybe it's not so much Pharisees coming at, uh, up at you in 2019 or, um, or, or demons coming out of people or your family saying, we think you're crazy. Uh, maybe there may be some of that. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's something more subtle than that. Maybe it's, you know, just rather than demons coming out of you, it's them speaking to you, a, a word of, of, of shame, of, of guilt, of worthlessness. Maybe it's uh, something in your, in your life, uh, your, your finances, your, your job, you know, whatever it is. Uh, uh, speaking there, you, you start to wonder, are my kids possessed? Or are they just really not respectful? Or I don't know what's happening here. And we get confused sometimes as to where the fight is, who the enemy is, and what's going on. And what Jesus is going to do here, and this is kind of the big, the big uh, urge that I want to give you, is, is, is that he focuses us on the gospel. He focuses us on the mission, on, on Christ. And he says, any of these things are opportunities for you to refocus on Christ. And they may seem, if you don't focus on Christ, they may seem to detract you to something else. You know, uh, if something goes wrong with finances, it's probably your spouse's fault, right? Um, no, 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 no. There's something we need to do when we focus on Christ. So I want to look at that. How does Christ focus us? So we want to look at the, focus, uh, the focusing effort of Christ. It's almost as though he's in this, this spiritual war, and he, and he pulls these guys, these disciples, into the foxhole and says, okay, regroup, guys. Like, we're getting, we're getting lit up out here, but the battle is won, and here's how we fight it. And so that's what I'm hoping this text does for us today. It's kind of bring, bring us back in. Say, so, okay, we're not getting shot at right now. We need to understand what the plan is so that when we poke our heads back out, we know exactly what we're doing and we know exactly how to advance. And so here he goes. He's going to show us a way that he focuses attention, that he focuses his resources, and that he focuses the mission. So we'll look at how Jesus does this because we're not to model the disciples. We're to model Jesus. We're to be a disciple who models Jesus. So we want to look at how he does the, uh, the attention, the resources, and the mission, and then we'll see how that works for us today. So Verse 13, I'll read that again. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came. Jesus called whom he desired up to him. He didn't call up everyone. I mean, that's kind of the image there. Uh, uh, and, and, and he called, uh, he gathered the disciples. The crowds came to him, but Jesus then calls his disciples to him. I think that's a, that's a big thing. If you imagine kind of what, what, what the image is, is there's this big, you know, hill or whatever, ton of people there. Jesus now is going to go up to the hill. So he steps away from him. He steps back out. He could see everyone. And then he's kind of saying, you know, not really, I don't know, fantasy draft. You, 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 you. And then they all come. And this is kind of what's happening here. Jesus calls his disciples. The word behind called here uh, is, uh, in verse 13, it's literally the word summoned. He summoned his disciples. And being on a mountain, as we've kind of said, his disciples are summoned up to him. There's something special about this. Like I've said it before, the geography of the Bible is important. There's a reason why they're called up to him. Let's think about it. When did someone who is God or the Son of God call someone else up to him who is going to lead? Moses was called up to God. This is supposed to be this this, this thing happening here. What do we know of God when God calls people up to him? He's, He's doing that out of authority. Only a God could call people up to him. And, and even as, as, as Jesus is separating from the masses, 
he's probably not saying like, hey, you guys, you know, and, uh, and seeing who all comes up. That there's something else. I don't know how this goes, but he's very sovereignly calling people to him, specifically these disciples. And I think it's pretty amazing. We'll get to it, you know, again. And they came. So he summons them up to him. We don't, we don't have to, time to go into just kind of all of, all of what this means, but I think that there are maybe some three, three baby basic principles here that we can kind of observe. Is that Jesus calls himself, uh, disciples to himself out of authority. And so if you're wondering, do I be a disciple? Do I follow, do I follow Christ? Do I, do I do whatever? Can I trust him? Do, do I know that this is the guy that's going to win the fight? Do I know that this is the guy that can even win the fight? Am I just following another voice, another religion, another uh, spiritual figure that's going to tell me a few things that are nice, but I can't actually uh, authoritatively uh, command uh, the world and my fate? Well, he can. And that's one of the reasons why he summons um, Jesus calls disciples to, him, to himself out of authority. Uh, another principle here that we can find is that Jesus calls disciples to himself because he desires them. If we read that, that verse again, and he, Jesus, called to him those whom he desired. And so those who are disciples of Christ are loved by Christ. It's not just that he's saying, oh, I got to do this. I need to, I'm going to die. These people need to take over. And now those people are going to die. So this is just a big strategy of how do I keep my sneaky scheme to work? How does the church survive? We just have to continue trudging along and people have to carry the baton. And uh, he loves them. This is it. It's not just a, a, an offloading of tasks to the next generation. They say, no, 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 do this out of love. This activity of the church and of faith is a wonderful thing. And so I, I love you, I desire you, and I want that to be the thing that moves this, uh, this generation to generation kind of thing. Jesus calls disciples to himself out of authority and out of love. And then maybe the last one here. Uh, Jesus calls disciples to himself that they might be set apart for a purpose different than the crowd. So before we, you know, all of our red flags go off here, if... Uh, if we, uh, if, if we don't totally agree with that, I want to I clarify what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the crowd is not called, so I'm not talking about the crowd here. Uh, what, I'm talk what I'm saying is that if you want to be a disciple, as these disciples, we see them, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, um, you're going to have to count the cost of responding, of going to him, of trekking up that hill, of, of, of going away from the norm, of going away from the status quo, and of going to a completely new and living way of life. That is something that maybe we don't say too often in, in Christian circles. We just say, Jesus is going to forgive you. No, there's, there's a cost here to being a disciple. You are forgiven, but you're not going to be the same. <laughs> you're going to do something, and that's going to cost. And so that's where he is calling people to himself, to be set apart, to be special, because they're going to have a special task. Disciples have a special task. So I've used the word disciple like a, a billion times already. What is a disciple? Uh, uh, definitionally, a disciple is a follower uh, of a teacher, a leader, or a philosopher. So they're, you know, ideas, and they say, hey, here are my ideas, and, uh, and then we fo follow those ideas. Um, I mean, you could say something like, um, you know, um, uh, communism. You know, I mean, that's, that's the, people who subscribe to communism could be called, you know, disciples of, you know, those who, uh, those who espouse communism or socialism or, uh, or democracy. Like, there, there's a way that we can be disciples of many things, of consumerism. Um, we could be uh, low-grade disciples of a sports team. 
Uh, and, uh, and so we know who the enemies are, and we know who the, who the heroes are, and, and we kind of construct this thing. There are ways in which we're disciples of more than just, it's not just a religious term. Uh, we follow things. So we are disciples of something, and he's saying, I want you to be a disciple of me, because I'm the way. And so that's the difference here, is that Jesus isn't simply a, a teacher who, who teaches some facts. He isn't a, a leader who, uh, who just says, hey, I'm going to charge this way, follow me up here. Uh, and he's not a philosopher who's just kind of espousing some great ideas that we should you know, try to put into action. Jesus says, follow me in Mark 1. And when he says that, he's, he's, he's not simply telling Simon and Andrew to walk behind him to the next set of miracles and just say, hey, you're going to be with me, you're going to be my posse, and then everyone's going to come ask you the questions when I die and I return to heaven. See, Jesus, when he, asks, when he says, follow me, he's inviting them, and I would say he's even fighting us into uh, a formal way of discipleship of embracing who he is, the character of who he is, the way in which he, uh, in which he operates, the worldview in which he, which, he, uh, which he has for us. He's inviting us not simply into these ideas that are external that he can pass on to us. He's inviting us into himself because he says, I am the way. And that's the difference with Christianity is the discipleship is he's saying, I want you to be disciples, but I want you to follow me and I am the way to following me. You see, I mean, we look at this here. Um, we look at this uh, and we say, okay, so that's, that's maybe what a disciple is. So, so if we're supposed to respond as they did, you know, it says they came to him. Uh, what does it mean for me to respond uh, as a disciple responds? Um, I'm just going to go with, the, with uh, maybe a, a very easy one. I think this is a, a definition of, of what makes up a, a responsive disciple. Um, I think I got this from Crew. I think this is the, 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 original, uh, the originator of this. Faithful, available, and teachable. Uh, that, that, that is a, a great definition of a, a disciple is faithful, uh, available, and teachable. I mean, we look at this, and we've seen people that have different, different aspects of this, but not all of them. So, okay, faithful, you believe in Christ. Uh, you follow Christ. Available, you, you have the time to do this, and you, and you, and you delegate your resources that way. Uh, and then teachable, you're humble. You're, you're okay learning and being shaped and being formed in a certain way. So uh, if you have faith and you have availability, but you're not teachable, we've seen this, this you're Pharisee. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we have there. Those people weren't called. They're part of, uh, they're part of uh, the group that's kind of wondering what's going on with this guy. Uh, if you're faithful and you're teachable uh, without being available, then you're just straight up too busy. <laughs> uh, you have all that desire, but you've never actually committed to it with your time. Uh, if you're available and you're teachable without being faithful, you're one of the crowd. You're, you're there all the time. And you want to learn, but you're not quite sure this Jesus thing and the salvation and the sin thing's real. Then you're just going to be a, a, an unfaithful member of the crowd, and that's not a disciple. And I think uh, I just feel uh, just a heavy burden always as a pastor of just making sure that our church is not a church of the crowd. Uh, I think it's so easy for the way we do church uh, this, at this moment in history to just have a crowd that is the church, that we're available on a Sunday morning, we're teachable, but we, but we don't really land at home. And, and it really, man, it's just always my prayer uh, that we just resonate with these words. We delight in the vision of God that we be a faithful people of God. I, I want people to walk by us and say, man, there's something going on with those Parfue people. They're faithful. They're so faithful. I don't get it. They're faithful beyond what I would even do. It's incomprehensible. So Jesus gives us a focus, uh, and his focus is that he 
focuses his attention on the disciples. He focuses his attention on, be, on these people who are faithful and available and teachable. He focuses on, on giving them the mission of bringing in full force what this kingdom of God is going to be. And so he, we see that Jesus, is, Jesus focuses his attention on disciples as an example that we might do the same. But then he also focuses his resources. Okay, uh, verse 14, we, we'll get back here. Uh, verse 14, uh, the beginning part of it. Uh, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Now, there's a lot here, uh, but it'll go pretty quickly. Um, Jesus appointed 12. Uh, now, this isn't an accidental number. It reflects back to the mission through the 12 tribes, you know, all the way back to the, the Old Testament. He says, I'm going to make, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations, and I'm going to choose these people, these my people, and he divides them up into 12. 12 disciples. He's saying this is part of the mission. This is part of the plan. I've not dropped it and we turned to the New Testament and now we've got something new. This is a continuation of my redemptive plan of calling all people to myself, of blessing the nations here. So this idea that he's saying, I'm picking you, is saying, I had a plan and I'm still that plan. I'm not making up something new. I think a lot of times we hear critics say Jesus is kind of the, whoops, plan B. Whoops, everybody was sinful. We didn't make this one in the garden seems like people's sin is too big. Jesus was the plan. This was the redemptive plan of God from the beginning, and this was also the plan for the church to carry that message. So it's not that Jesus then died. Oh, what do you do? Let's make up some church myth so that Christians can go and do that. Jesus was a plan from the beginning, and the church was a plan from the beginning, and discipleship was the plan for all of that working out. And so the 12 are there. It's kind of a testament that the plan's still going. And my resources that I'm going to use are my people. So then Jesus appointed them for a twofold reason. It's right there in the text. I just read it. Uh, when you're asking what's the purpose of this, uh, in, when you read the Bible, uh, a, a good key phrase there is so that. When you see so that in your Bible, you should circle it because it's about to tell you exactly the reason for why we're reading this. And he appointed 12 so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So there's the twofold thing, that they might be with him. I'll focus on that now. And then the next point, our final point, will be so that they may be sent out. So here's the big point, that they might be with him. A disciple is someone who is with Jesus. This is where we gain our resources for the mission at hand. We gain them in Christ. So here's kind of the phrase that I'll, I'll have here. Presence with Christ. Presence precedes proclamation. Presence precedes proclamation. You have to be with Christ before you can talk about being with Christ. You have to have experienced the steadfast love of God, the carrying, uh, the carrying refuge of our Father. You have to understand his justice. You have to come to terms with the wrath of God, the justice of God, and your sin and his holiness. You have to have been in that before you can actually even talk about that. And you have to be with him. So he says, he gets that right. He says, so I'm, I'm, I've got a mission here. We've got this kingdom that we're building. We've got this war that we're fighting. How do we resource you? Be with me. Come and be with me. So he called them so that they might be with him. So if we're disciples, how do we ensure that we're carrying the right message? If we're with him, how do we know that we're, we're actually taking it out there? And I think this is maybe a, a point that I just want to get really practical with. 
Christian discipleship, uh, the, the, kind of the, the, one of the key distinctives of Christian discipleship is that if we are to carry the right message, we need to understand that we must uh, be formed by that message. I think that's, that's different. A lot of times there's kind of an idea and you just transmit that idea. Something that's very distinctive about the people of God, about the way of Jesus, is that we have a message. We have a good news, but it's not just news that we read like a newspaper. It's good news that also shapes us. The message itself forms us. Jesus is the message, and Jesus is the one forming us. That is a very big difference, and that's where I think discipleship goes wrong sometimes, is that we think discipleship is just a handing down of Christian knowledge. That's, that's not it. I mean, that's, that's helpful, um, but until it forms us, it's just a bunch of knowledge. We could win Christian game night, but you can't follow the way. You can't pursue and endure the way that we are supposed to. See, that's, that's his whole mission here, is that people become like him. It's not that they just do the task of a disciple, but they become like him. We must be formed by this. Maybe a way to talk about this. Okay, so uh, this is only one example, but I think it's a very potent example. So quiet time, uh, devotionals, whatever you call them. I think sometimes um, I will use myself. Uh, sometimes I go to the Psalms, the lament Psalms. It's like, man, work is awful. And I just need a word. I need a few bullets in the, in, in, in the, in the magazine so that I know how to, how to shoot down the enemy. Um, that is my boss. Uh, no, that's, uh, well, that's how people read the Psalms, let's be honest. Um, uh, and so, so, so we read that, and we, we're, putting, we're putting bullets in the, in the chamber when we, when we read. Oh, I, you know, I just talked to an atheist. Oh, my goodness, what do they think? Okay, here is, here's the silver bullet of this. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, that's sin, that's sin. You know, and we're, we're trying to figure that stuff out. Or maybe we're, we're, we're just overwhelmed, and we just need some help, and we just, I need to go to you, you're my refuge. Some of this is really, really helpful. This strategy of, 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 of building up your knowledge of what Scripture says. Some of that's really good. Now, I'm obviously making a caricature of a bad motive. I believe that our quiet time, when we called into the presence of God, when He speaks to us in His Word, I believe that it is, it is more than just learning some things about God. We are being shaped. It's less of, you know, saying we need better bullets. It's saying we just we just need to be in shape. We need, our soldiers just need to be able to carry out the task. You are being shaped as a soldier of God when you're, when you're in this. You're exercising your faith. You're exercising your trust. You're exercising your ability to trust. And what, what, what happens when you exercise a muscle? It gets stronger. Uh, and so when you exercise your faith, when you go through the reps of Scripture, you're actually building up spiritual muscles that you didn't even know you maybe had. When you read Jonah and you say, what a scumbag. And then you realize, oh, wait, I'm doing the same thing. Look at that. You don't have any bullets in your chamber. You're being shaped and formed by God. That's what we're doing. When we look at these crowds and we say, oh, man, these crowds are so dumb. They just follow Jesus. And it's, you know, it's like, it's like Anna in, uh, in, in Frozen. They just walk around, do the magic, do the magic. No, oh, that's so silly. Oh, wait a second. That's me. Uh, I do that too. I just want him to heal me. I just want him to heal that person. I don't actually want them to know Christ. I just want them to not be sick. I feel like there are things that happen that way. Those aren't bullets in the chamber kind of a thing. It's good to have scripture. It's good to have a framework, a biblical framework of, 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 of how we reason. But I hope you hear me say like that. That's not why we go into the Bible. We're to be formed by it. And that takes a whole lot more time and a whole lot more humility. We are being shaped as soldiers in God's army. And so go to boot camp 
get aligned to his vision. In the same way that maybe I, that, that I'm talking about, this discipleship or growing in Christ is exercise, uh, exercises our ability to respond in Christ-like ways. That is the measure which we have. Am I growing in Christ? Am I increasingly responding to life situations in the way that Christ calls me to and shows me to? Focuses his resources on people. Feeds them, gives them the resource of himself that they might be like him. Jesus focuses his attention. He focuses his resources. And now here's the last one. Gives us a little bit more of the big picture and the movement, the big go. He focuses on the mission. And Jesus appointed some so that they might come to him and so that he might send them out. What are the things that he does? Let's read it. It's in the Bible right there. Uh, so that they might be with him. He might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Okay, to preach, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. It's not just preaching, it's proclaiming. Uh, it's proclaiming the name of Christ. It's proclaiming the things of Christ. It's saying, I made this decision, and here's the God reason why. Here's how Christ is shaping my decision-making. That's proclaiming Christ. It's also just clarifying and saying, Man, this is kind of the history of everything, and Jesus is real, and he's for you, and he can forgive you, and he wants to be with you. That's also proclaiming. You're going to see that the, the disciples go out and they proclaim like crazy. Uh, so it's not simply preaching. So it doesn't say that you all become pastors and preach. That's not what it's saying. Proclaim him wherever you are. And so that's kind of the point there. Uh, the next one, though, is strange uh, to people in our tradition, uh, that they might have authority to cast out demons, that they might have authority over these demons, that they might be able to say, go, and they go, that they might understand that Christ has uh, uh, has authority over them, and that his authority is extending to them. I think that's the big key, is that it's not simply that, that we're awesome, and that's why we can battle Satan, and that's why we can call out sin, and that's why we can be in the, in the business of, of putting to death sin, and that's why we can, we can uh, uh, speak against Satan. It's not because we're awesome. It's because Christ has, uh, Christ has conquered. Christ is authoritative. And so when he gives them the ability to cast out demons, that's a very vivid, that's a very real way that you can see this being done. What he's doing is he's extending his authority to us. Man, that is so helpful. On those times where I am just, I, I find it, I, I just don't know, when I'm cloudy, on, on, just read the Bible and I say, what is going on here? I don't know what's happening. When I have nasty motives of, uh, of, 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 of preaching, of church, even pastors do have that. Um, or when I'm, when I'm thinking ill thoughts against any of you, my family, or whatever it is. That doesn't kill me. That doesn't overwhelm me. Because he has extended to his disciples the authority to say, stop. I know what you're doing, Satan. I don't like it. Get away from my, my wife. Get away from my husband. Get away from my kids. They're doing these things, and it doesn't make sense. You're attacking them. You're trying to run them off the road. There is one way and you were pulling them to that way, stop. We can actually do that because he has extended his authority to us. But we can't do it as the disciples do. They say, and we tried to do this, and we got beat up by the demons. But you're not the one doing that. It's Christ. In the name of Jesus, stop. I'm just saying the truth that is there. We can do that, and we could say that. And that's really comforting, and that's really empowering. And that's something we need in the foxhole when we, when we don't know who, who's the enemy and who isn't the enemy. Christ is king. He is victorious. So put an end to Satan. 
get on the mission with him. Keep in step with the Spirit doing this. And so what do we read? He, he does. So this is, this is the foxhole. Then he kind of sends them out. So he's going to send them out to preach, to have authority over demons. So uh, we've got a, a text up here. Uh, you don't have to. It's Mark 6. Feel free to flip over there if you want to. It's on the screen as well. Mark 6, uh, verse, uh, verses 7 through 12 are really helpful. For the sake of time, we're just doing verse 7 and 12. And he, Jesus, called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. That sounds pretty familiar. So then what did they do with it? Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Oh, how great is that? That is not what he said. I thought they were going to like go say Jesus is awesome and drive out spirits. What did they do? Oh, they did the same thing. They told people that they should repent. Isn't that amazing that in our confession, as we are together, we just did this together, we are actually engaging in spiritual warfare. I am naming the enemy and it is my sin. It is against me. And what we did today was an act of spiritual warfare and we say... And you forgive that. This is the victor. And in that naming of reality as it is, when we repent of our sin, one little battle gets won. Another little battle gets won. And the kingdom advances. The kingdom advances through repentant hearts. And this is how we advance it. So what do we do here? What do we do here? Jesus says, in Mark 13, we don't, we don't have that. You can, you can go read Mark 13. They're asking, what, what's the end going to be like? Uh, people ask him. And he likens the end. He says, this is, it's a time in history. Uh, right now, the church age is a time in history when, time, uh, when the master leaves for a, a journey. And we don't know when he's going to come back. And he's using the same wording as our passions today. And he says, and this master puts his servant, us, in charge, each with his work. And he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. He says he puts them in charge. He gives them authority to take care of the kingdom, to take care of what's his. That's our role. And he says, so stay awake. It says right there. I just quoted it. So stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. He says, get out there. Defend the faith and defend the faith by showing people Christ's loving presence, his forgiveness, his truth, the reality of sin, the hope of salvation. So if you're a disciple, get out there, exercise your faith. And that is not the greatest application point. If I just say, get out there, I'd be like, thanks, man. So here are three, maybe more. Let's get a little bit more practical. Uh, three, three ways we do that. Uh, you can put that on the screen. Focus your mission, focus your resources, and focus your attention. So I want to talk about this. Uh, uh, just how do we focus? What does this idea of focusing mean? Uh, it's, it's the idea of a budget. I'm going to break from war, and I'm going to go to finance. Sorry. Um, so budget. A budget is a strategic plan. If we have a vision without a budget, it's only a good intention. You know, just great. Uh, if we have a budget without a vision, uh, it's at best a, a waste of resources. Uh, if we have a, vis- a vision with a budget, it is a plan. And this is something that we can do. And so I'm just going to, just kind of, by way of speaking of vision and budget, uh, Jesus gives us the vision. The kingdom advances. So then how do we budget our time? How do we budget our resources? How do we budget our relationship and our money toward that end? A budget's more than just money. It's all the resources at your disposal. Finances is one, uh, but time, relationship, attention. And I feel like relationship and attention are the ones that we're super weak at here in the North Liberty area relationship and attention. We're busy and we're lonely. We have financial goals to which we budget. We understand this. So using that idea, 
Disciples budget all their resources toward the goal of Christ. This is the foxhole focus. Pharisees, the crowd, family, the demons, who, who's the enemy? What's the plan? We'll just budget to it and move ahead. Focus your mission. The disciples follow a leader, a teacher, a philosopher. So what Jesus is saying is, are you going to follow the way? What is your mission? It is to follow the way. Anything that comes up in life. Now, I'm sure by the end of the day, some stress is going to come up, some problem, some issue is going to come up to you, mild or huge. Today, what if we think about those as opportunities to remember who is, uh, who is Christ? What is the example of Christ? How does Christ do this? I mean, I'm, I'm as skeptical as, as, as most anybody uh, from, from the 90s and 2000s. What would Jesus do is really helpful, though. Uh, you know, you just think, what would Jesus do in this situation? What, what, what is this? What is the response? If I'm going to be like Christ, I should probably start doing the things of Christ. Maybe take a breath and remember the mission. It's that Christ be known to all. Not just unbelievers, but to believers. We speak Christ to each other. We show Christ to each other. Okay, and then we focus on our resource, uh, focus our resources. So instead of just throwing everything everywhere, which we often do, uh, uh, let's focus on those. So I'm going to go three ways here. People who we are called up to, uh, people who we are called out to, and people we are called, I don't know, lack of better terms, people that we are called to, to, into. There we go. Um, so people that we called up to. Maybe uh, relationship-wise. If you don't have someone that's like a, a, a faithful mentor or coach or, 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 uh, or, um, or discipler, uh, faithful is the key here, who, you, who can spur you on, you should get one. Uh, maybe if you're, 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 you're seasoned enough where you don't really have too many people above you, start to maybe feed down to people. You need to have someone above kind of showing you how to do what you do in your profession, in your life, in your calling, in your vocation. You need to have someone there who is also faithful, who can show you how Christians do those things. There are Christian lawyers. There are Christian businessmen. There are Christian engineers. And they can show you how to do Christ in those areas. So I would really challenge you, get, get that. That will focus your resources like no other, only if they show you how to get to Christ through that. Uh, who are you called, uh, called into? Faithful peers who, you, who can draw you back into the presence of of Christ. And here's maybe a challenge here. I'd love to just give a list of all of the ways in which Parkview uh, uh, provides that we can create peer networks of, of feeding into each other and drawing each other back to Christ. That, that's great. Those are there, and those are real, and I don't mean to like demean them or anything. But Parkview can create as many community groups as we want, or as many equipping hours as we want. Uh, we can create as many men's groups or women's groups. We can provide any kind of thing there, uh, but we cannot get you to engage with each other. We just provide the space that's up to you. Keeping in step with the Spirit, you have to engage. One of the things that we've created here, oh man, this is awesome, uh, is a potluck today. Look at that. Uh, maybe don't just go and, and, and shoot the breeze. Maybe be thinking, if there's someone, I want to nudge you now even harder. If you've ever thought, I need to talk to someone about this, I think they may have a similar story. I need to know uh, something. I need to just dump my truck on someone because I'm just keeping it in. Uh, or maybe I just need to tell someone, uh, ease up on it. Like right now we have a potluck and we're going to, you know, eat and bouncy house and that kind of fun stuff. This is a really great time to do that because we've all just heard it and now we can go apply it. And now it's really awkward if you just drive away and you'll be like, oh, I didn't do it and it was right there. I set it up. It's on the T. Go enter into meaningful relationship right now. I mean, not now, in 10 minutes. 
Uh, so uh, that's one. And then the other one, so-called up to. Who is leading you? Who is showing you, you know, those, those few years out? Who is helping you advance in whatever you are called to do here on earth in the way of Christ? Who is at your same level telling you to be more in Christ? And then the other one is the people who are, you are called out to. That unfaithful person. I think, Doug, I've got one of these. Doug showed us last week three friends. I think it's a great idea. What are you, who are your three friends, unbelieving friends, that you know you have a natural relationship with that need Christ, that you are sure need Christ? Write those, write those down. Pray for those. Pray for them. The more you pray for someone, the more you think about ways to speak to them. That unfaithful person to whom Christ may be sending, uh, sending you to, or maybe a future disciple whom Jesus is calling and you are that relationship through which he's calling. So I just encourage you that way. So what do we do then? We focus our mission. That's advancing the kingdom. That's bringing the good news to people. Focus our resources. And I've just shown how we can focus our relationship. Get serious with those relationships. But then also focus your attention. And I think I'll just give a, a couple points. Obviously, we could go on forever. Uh, when we work with the Holy Spirit, because it's not just us converting people to Christ. Like, this is just weird. We don't do that. The Spirit does that. What we can do when we walk, walk in line with the Spirit's work in changing hearts to Christ is that we can focus our attention on praying that people become more available, that people become more teachable. That they're available and teachable. And that when that person is known. And when it is obvious that, the seas, that, that it's right, that the soil is not rock, but good soil, available, teachable soil, then it is our role to bring that faithfulness, to bring that faith, to lay the seeds, to plant the seed of faith. That's what we do. And then we pray after we plant it. There it is. And then as we read in Corinthians, then we just pray that the Spirit make it grow. That's our role, to pray for available, teachable people in our communities, our neighbors, our, our coworkers, that we plant the seed and that we encourage growth, but that we pray for that growth to happen. That's what we do. It seems a lot easier, but a lot more difficult in ways. And so it's a challenge for us. It's a beautiful challenge. It's an ongoing way in which Jesus shows us that we are to gather, to grow, and to go as the kingdom people of God. That's my prayer, that this is what we are and this is what we will be increasingly and so uh, let's, do, let's do right and pray to God that we be aligned to that. God, we, uh, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for just the thought of discipleship. Man, what a fascinating thought. So intricate, but yet so simple. We pray that you would guard us from making it more complex than it needs to be. We, we pray that we would, you would guard us from making it more us-centered than it needs to be. We pray that, that, that in uh, all of our uh, time and our, and our relationship relationships uh, in our attention, that you draw us closer to you by focusing us on you. That we do our work, but we do it focused on you and the advancement of your kingdom. It is a real, victorious kingdom. It is a beautiful kingdom. We want that for the people around us. Please help us. Give us ways, creative ways, real ways to advance your kingdom, one soul at a time. Brothers and sisters, let's uh, align our hearts here uh, with, with the Lord's prayer that he has given us to do so. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen.